Welcome back to this week's episode of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. You're listening with Nate Terracio. Welcome back to the Coger Center Arts Roundup podcast. Our special guest this week is Anita Floyd, the executive director of the Columbia Film Society here in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, thank you for joining us, Anita. I'm pleased to be here. I appreciate being asked. So can we start by talking about what is the Columbia Film Society? Because in my head, I always talk about going to the Nickelodeon, <laughs> but the Columbia Film Society is both the Nickelodeon and the Indie Grits Labs, if I'm correct. And can you talk about how, you know, what that means to you as the executive director um, and how those sort of two separate things are, you know, the same organization? Yeah, um, we, yes, we are the Columbia Film Society and we've been in Columbia for uh, just over 40 years now as, as the Film Society. And probably uh, lots of folks that are listening are aware that we were created uh, on South Main by a couple of graduate students at USC and uh, basically focused on showing uh, films that were not going to be easy to see in our community. So I came here as a graduate student and was very glad to see the Nickelodeon on South Main and spent plenty of time there with Bergman and Truffaut and Fellini and all of them. And I thought it was a great, great uh, asset to the community. And that's still what we find today. Um, we will, I will have uh, uh, guests come in and talk to me literally that as they were uh, calculating where they might want to retire. Uh, it was part of their figuring was that they wanted to have some place where they could enjoy the kind of uh, ind independent cinema that, that we offer. So, so we've been really true to that uh, particular mission all through the 40 years. But along the way, we also um, have kind of grew into the, the goal of doing some work around media literacy. So that was part of the early pieces of uh, building out the Nickelodeon into something called and adding the, the Indie Grits Labs. And, and that's, that was really, um, you know, continue to kind of innovate. And it was certainly in keeping with our mission, which is to promote critical dialogue. And I think uh, helping people consume media as media becomes, you know, um, omnipresent, I mean, it's hard to even describe how it permeates our lives now, is um, uh, an important piece. So, so it started as an education program. We work with um, students a lot through the schools. Um, we certainly also have got programs for adults. We have workshops that are kind of how-to things. So that, that, that's kind of the media education arm. But the other piece around the Indie Grits, there's a couple more. One is the support that we do for artists themselves. So for the last several years, we've been sponsoring fellowships, thanks to some federal funding that we get, where we actually invite artists to come and participate as a cohort to learn from each other. We bring in folks that can help the artists with their own professional development. Um, we give them uh, resources to produce media uh, themselves. But we also ask them to work in community uh, to, so that the stories in community, uh, our local communities and their local communities get told too, so that they're sharing their skills and certainly um, our resources. So, you know, we've done different themes around that. 
um, and and it, it, it has focused on, um, you know, two cities was a, a look at the differences in the experiences of people just up North Maine compared to downtown. Um, we this year focused on real fiction, which is what is the meaning of uh, news and, and the distinction between fiction in a time when, uh, you know, media is proliferating, but also our local news uh, struggles to have resources for themselves, like local newspapers. So that was an exploration this year. So we've done lots of different things. And this year, we will be uh, getting started on a program to actually focus on housing. So that was before COVID that we were looking at that particular theme, but I think that it is at least as relevant, if not more, now that we've experienced, um, you know, that, that people are, are, have, have a new stressor on their housing. And then also, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement has raised the issue of uh, systemic racism and, and, you know, housing has been used as a way to kind of, uh, more than kind of, but to promote that. So we try to stay relevant. This is one of the things that we do to promote this critical dialogue that we uh, embrace in the community. And then of course, what people probably are most familiar with is our Indie Grids Festival. And that's been going on for over a dozen years. And if you've ever been, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's uh, uh, definitely film-centered. We, we really try to highlight um, local and regional artists, media artists. Um, the, the goal is really to, to, to kind of put the spotlight on people who are doing things that are a little bit different, a little bit edgy. Um, but then there's also lots of different activities that go with it, including lots of music events, block parties, an arcade. I mean, you know, stuff for kids to learn how to do some, some filmmaking. So, so it's, it's kind of, we're kind of expansive. I mean, just describing it, there's just, there's a lot of things that we're really engaged in. Where did the Indie Grits name come from? That actually came from the festival. And if I, I obviously I wasn't here, but I think that the history was that that was something that was created uh, by the city and then they asked us to kind of uh, manage it. So I believe we inherited that. And so the Film Society started as the Film Society, but basically focused around the Nickelodeon, which at the time was a single uh, screening room on South Main. Correct. Um, and that, so when did the uh, Indie Grits become a part of the Columbia Film Society? It was about uh, 13 uh, years ago, but, uh, but more recently than that, we had the opportunity to actually create a space uh, in North Columbia on Duke Avenue. So that was a great little uh, workshop area for people to come and, you know, just use our, our equipment and to work with people and certainly uh, we hosted, we had an, uh, a gallery there, so local visual artists had displays there. So it was kind of an exciting, uh, interesting place. When and did that open? Um, probably three years ago, but unhappily um, we had to close it uh, when we were looking at uh, how, to, how to sustain the organization uh, without the resources that we depend on. So that, that's a COVID-19 closure. Yes, it is. That facility, we closed it uh, after May. Uh, well, we started closing it. We, we closed on March 16th. And of course that included the cancellation of this year's in-person uh, in festival. And uh, we just had to make some hard decisions and that included closing that house. Um, 
The, can we talk just a little bit about your current home uh, for the Nickelodeon yeah. Theater on, mm -hmm. on Main Street? So that, uh, that reopened, it opened in, uh, it was the Fox Theater, it, it reopened as the Nickelodeon in 2012? Yes, correct. Um, so how, how did, can you talk us through that process? I don't, you, you weren't in charge then, but um, uh, had the film society just decided it was, uh, you know, growing and it needed a bigger space? How did, how did that theater come to be the current home of the Nickelodeon? I think that um, the board of the uh, film society uh, was looking for a, a new space. And of course, at the time, there were, there were, you know, several theaters or former theater spaces in our community that were uh, not being used as theaters. So uh, I think that they saw that as an opportunity and just were looking for space. And that was, of course, also the, uh, you know, kind of some of the early uh, parts of uh, the, the strategies to redevelop downtown. So, you know, with MAST kind of uh, putting a, a stake in the ground, um, it just, it, it, it was just an opportunity for the NIC to, to move also and kind of contribute to some development in the community uh, on Main Street and the revival, not the revival, but the renewal of Main Street. What was that theater? I, I don't remember, uh, I, I can't in my head picture what it was before it was the Nickelodeon as it is now. So it was, I don't, uh, I don't have a, a memory of it being a theater either because I, I wasn't here, but um, in the meantime, between it being a, 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 the Fox Theater and, and the Nickelodeon, it was actually um, a retail space and I, I believe it was a wig shop. So you all took it over from that retail space and re, repurposed it back into a theater. And yeah, and it was, it was fascinating. Um, I, I actually got to uh, come into the theater long before the renovation started because you know Larry Hambry was awesome at, at, at you know getting people to kind of catch the spirit and it was fascinating to walk around the old theater the upstairs had been the balcony um, and but the projection room is you know where it was when it was the Fox Theater when you when you went up there with all the dust and the crumble and everything you really could see all kinds of stuff that had been left behind, film canisters and stuff. So it's kind of a, it's a it's kind of fascinating, and I, I'm I'm really it's a, I think it's a good story to bring back something like a theater. And you split the balcony into one screening room and the downstairs seating into a second. Mm -hmm. So you doubled the screening rooms when you moved Correct. from from South Main, um, which means that you can show twice as many films and. I've always been interested to know how how do you find the films? What's the, what's the process of deciding what you're going to show uh, when you're open to the public and showing them um, in person? So that that's a lot of fun, um, and the the two screens and the the six daily screenings gives us a uh, gave us a lot of opportunity. So we do work with someone who helps us with first run films. Um, so those would be things that people would be more familiar with. So they're indie, indie films, but, you know, they're a little bit more um, just uh, marketed and, you know, people are more aware of them. So that would include things like Little Women and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, those kind of films. But so then, sometimes, sometimes films like that um, get shown in the sort of big uh, behemoth 
theater chains uh, that are out there, as well as someplace like the Nickelodeon. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So we do do some of the we do have some of the, the same first runs that uh, some of the other theaters would have. But not usually. I mean, that's not typical. Right. Uh, you know, Mo mostly what I, I see at the Nickelodeon are things that it's the only place in town I have the option of seeing. That's right. And so what uh, what we do is, uh, you know, we have a programmer who who did a great job of uh, researching uh, different kinds of uh, opportunities. Obviously, one of the best feeder systems for our uh, screenings are festivals, local festivals. So we obviously track those um, and in, sometimes get to participate in them. So that's one way that we kind of get aware of what fits our niche. Um, and, you know, as soon as things come available, we, we, we try to grab them. But we also do uh, community curation. So uh, we have some committees uh, that would program, you know, around certain kinds of themes or we'll get guest curators to come in. So I was talking about the fellowships uh, earlier and last year our Black Stories series was curated by several of the fellows. So, so we do some community-based curation. We also um, offer our space to the community for their um, selections. So we partner with uh, community organizations that would like to use film as a way to do just what we do, which is to stimulate this critical dialogue. And so they'll bring some kind of uh, film, they'll, they'll uh, buy the theater and then open it up for free for people to come and see their film. And we'll have some kind of talk back on that. And then, you know, just to keep things uh, interesting and to make sure that we've got some uh, reach in the variety that we show, we have um, series that we, we actually uh, uh, curate. So that includes documentaries, which is uh, our, probably our, our most popular series in terms of attendance. Um, and we, we, there are just so many great documentaries. That's always a hard, hard decision, but we have a, a, a community group that helps us with that. Um, we have a foreign focus series, which is another popular series. We've got a silver screen studies, which is obviously, uh, you know, seminal work or, or uh, classic works. Um, we do black stories. We have Holly Jolly Hollywood just for fun. So, you know, Saturday stories, because we want to pull in, we want to make sure that we're, you know, growing new, young uh, film goers. <laughs> it's for uh, Saturday stories for kids. So, you know, we try to kind of cover a range of um, uh, series also that appeal to different uh, uh, communities that in, in Colombia. So I was talking recently with uh, Chad from Trustus about their yeah. um, new play series where, mm -hmm. you know, they, they try to pick a new play um, and they get something like 800 submissions. Um, so I, it made me wonder, uh, I know that you you have people who help you know watch things, curate things, pick uh, pick these different series. Do you sort of take submissions? Do people send you uh, copies of stuff or links to things and say, "Hey, we are trying to self promote this film"? Um, <laughs> you know, do you get that kind of stuff, or does it all come through 
you know, your sort of more professional channels of like a booker or people picking pre-existing stuff? Yes. So uh, I'll tell you, until I got this job as ED, I didn't realize that everybody's brother-in-law was a filmmaker. <laughs> we get, I get lots of those kinds of emails, but that's not typically how we find the films that we show. Um, we, we actually, um, again, it, you know, we have people who are very uh, tuned in to what's kind of going on. So we do not uh, uh, look for submissions or solicit anything like that, except for during the festival. So that's okay, so that's the Indie Grits uh, fe film festival is something that you welcome people to submit to specifically for the festival. Precisely, and that's wide open. Um, we get lots of great uh, variety there, and it's gotten pretty competitive. I think that we sh we selected about one out of four films that were submitted this year. So it's, it's, it's great. Um, and, and, and again, it's the more edgy stuff. You get a lot more shorts. So there's a lot of talent that goes into curating the blocks of the uh, films for the festival. So that's a whole different uh, category. Um, we, we actually have people who just are tuned into to, uh, film. So whether they're you know, amateurs uh, that have more knowledge than me or whether they're engaged in the media work or other or otherwise just connected to, to different communities or, or uh, groups, they they actually help us uh, find them and help us curate them. But again, the programmer that 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 you know, you know again, Omay did a great job, um, does a lot of the work to find things that are uh, gonna suit the range of things that we do. So it's primarily the programmer who's looking for it and then we work with the curator, but we don't we don't solicit, you know, sometimes if there's you know, a local filmmaker who's done something, you know, really great, you know, we would uh, connect with them because we like to feature the filmmakers too, but it's, it's just not, not at all a solicitation. So how, how important is it for you to take into consideration your anticipated film sales on a particular film versus the sort of high quality of the work? Because I know that from, you know, from a live performance point of view, um, the best possible thing you can do is get a really excellent piece of art that everyone really wants to see. But <laughs> sometimes you have to get stuff that either everyone wants to see or something that's really good because it's hard to get both things all the time. Um, so when you're, how much of it is trying to balance sort of the, the bonanza of this is a great film that everyone's going to want to see it will sell well with well we might take something that's also playing in a mainstream theater um, because we think it will sell well versus um, here's something that comes very highly recommended and we've watched it and we like it but uh, it's going to be hard to market like do you have sort of have to balance uh, those three things when yeah, you're we, thinking yeah we definitely do uh, that kind of balancing act but we do have some uh, bottom line so obviously we wouldn't show, you know, Avengers stuff just because everyone comes to those things. Um, we, we do really um, make sure that the films we're showing are meeting some level of quality so we won't just show anything. And that includes, you know, when we have these community partnerships, um, we don't just, you know, we won't accept just everything to be shown here at the theater. Um, but but that is the balancing act, and you know when you get like the the La La Land or the um, uh, you know the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood showing here, 
that definitely uh, provides us resources to, to balance it out and do some of the smaller films that we recognize we are going to have to uh, market and that is you know, unlikely to, to completely sell it out. Uh, but we do want to make sure, again, that we're, we're providing that variety and introducing the community to those kinds of films too. So it's a balancing act between like the interests of our members, the interests of our community. Um, and then of course, um, you know, what's going to uh, play uh, and, and what can we afford to do? And I noticed that you do, uh clever marketing things. Um, sometimes you, you attach a band to a, a show, so you have some live music and, you know, as a part of the evening. And then you also do um, sort of uh, parties and other events that get people interested in media, film, et cetera, like the annual Oscars viewing party. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the importance of sort of marketing the building as a whole to people to keep it on people's minds um, in addition to sort of going after the targeted crowd for a specific film, right? Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes with a, you know, its own sort of marketing um, and you want you know, to get people in to see the film, but you also need to get people just to say to themselves, um, let's go see whatever's going on at the Nickelodeon. Exactly. And we, we definitely have uh, members who will check us out first, absolutely. And some that will wait to see a film that you might be able to see somewhere else at the Nick because, you know, we are more than just a, a theater of strangers, right? I mean, that's part of, we are, we are a community resource and it's, it's fun, you know, for me to be here uh, at the usher stand greeting people and seeing the regulars and the new people. And like I said, sharing stories about how they found the Nick. So all of that is part of it, is, is that we do want to be a community space. Um, in terms of um, the, the double marketing, yeah, that's a different way to bring in a different um, community. So, so the, the music will often be uh, complementing our sound and vision series uh, because that's, we, want, we, we recognize that you know, music is important uh, a piece of uh, film media. So we want to uh, feature again artists locally and we also uh, recognize that there are uh, groups of people for whom that is uh, a bonus uh, to come in and see something like that. And even, even like some interesting things that we did last year. So Once Upon a Time did sell itself, but we actually before that film was released had a couple of screenings where you could uh, uh, come to the, the Nick to see Pulp Fiction and we were get a meal. So we had hamburgers and milkshakes with it kind of to go with the theme. So we do try to do occasional uh, 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 things that just, just to kind of spark it up for our members and in the community. Um, can, speaking of food with the, with, with the show, um, concessions is a key feature. Uh, I have, he is now an 11 year old, but uh, <laughs> he, uh, we can't go to see a film without buying popcorn. It is it's, hey, tell uh, it's him a thank contract you. <laughs> um, it, that, you know, saying that we're going to go get, um, going to watch a film means popcorn. So um, the one thing I really love about the Nickelodeon is the, it's not, it doesn't look like your big chain concession stand. Um, right. 
Can, so is that a, like, how much effort and thought goes into the sort of uniqueness of, uh, of, of what you sell there? And I'd just like to mention to the listeners that the prices seem like they're incredibly, uh, <laughs> surprisingly inexpensive in comparison to what you have to pay when you go to a major chain. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's absolutely the truth. And I also think, and this is honest, I do think we have best popcorn. It's way better than what you're going to get at a commercial theater. I can say that. Um, but we do, so So um, I would say that the, um, like the candies and the um, cookies and those kinds of things are kind of what we've, you know, grown to uh, uh, provide over time. But that the drinks and the especially the the beer offerings are are kind of really rotating. It can be seasonal. We can pull things in around a, again a film theme. Sometimes we'll do a special drink around a film. So there's a lot more thought that I think goes into the the drinks than um, the the concessions. You know, I, however they landed on it, it seems to be a pretty good mix of things that that people actually respond to. And of course, we've got that nutritional yeast, which, where do you get that? That, that is what really sold me on the Nickelodeon <laughs> uh, in its new location. I, exactly. um, I grew up going to the old location, and then uh, when I moved back, um, it was in this new place. Uh, and I thought, oh, it's, it's, this has gone very highfalutin. Um, <laughs> but I, I went, and uh, there was new, the uh, nutritional yeast there, and, uh, and I been coming back ever since. Yeah. Uh, I, I do love the the new location as well. It's it's great that there's two theaters, which means you know more films uh, available to watch. Yeah, we have, and in a regular year, it's you know we get to screen 200 films a year, so it's it's good. It's 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 it, that allows a lot of room for us to uh, experiment, take some risks, but also uh, you know offer things that people are are highly likely to want to see. So can we talk about how things are going now? Because while we're filming this, this is September the 22nd, um, which means that you've been closed for over six months now to the public. Um, there is the virtual screening room, but can you talk about, in addition to the virtual screening room, what else, um, what else are you doing to stay engaged with the public, to stay engaged with your mission? Um, are there things that people should be looking for to, to interact with the Nickelodeon uh, between now and whenever we may be able to come back in the front door? Yeah, so a couple things. We do have the virtual screening room, and that's a little bit uh, mixed. Um, it's, it's, it's not even close to uh, the kind of participation that we would have with in-person screenings, but it does allow us to keep things in front of people that would be a little bit different than when you're just scrolling through any of the, um, you know, the services that, that most of us have. So we do want to keep that up. It allows us to be somewhat topical. So, you know, I, I would expect us to have uh, an opportunity to uh, bring back the RBG film. And I think people will want to be seeing these kinds of things now because, you know, it, again, it, that's in keeping with us being reflective of what's going on. Um, in terms of other things, I think that what you could be looking for are some special events. So we are out uh, connecting with community groups in ways that we can continue to um, have films that we invite people to watch, even though it will be difficult for us to screen them for them, even virtually. 
but then to have the uh, panels come in and actually talk about these kinds of uh, topical issues. So, so that's something that we're working on expanding. Um, there's always the opportunity uh, to uh, rent the theater if you'd like to come in and do that for your own group and just invite the people that you want so that you, you know, could feel uh, safe there. So those are some of the things that we're experimenting with. The, the challenge is that we are very, very uh, uh, limited in staffing right now. So there, there's some limits to what we can do, uh, but we will be again gearing up the, the fellowship piece. Uh, around the housing uh, uh, conversation. So I would expect some things to come out of that sooner than later too. And I have to say, um, our staff really pivoted quickly on the festival. I mean, we were scheduled to open that festival on the 26th and it, we closed on the 16th. And that's the streaming of those films I found to be an extremely successful event. Uh, we had lots of people tuning in because these were unique. You couldn't really access them anywhere else. And the talkbacks were very good too. The filmmakers participated. So I was really proud of how quickly the staff uh, made that uh, uh, transition and really succeeded on behalf of the, the filmmakers in the community. So are you accepting films for the next Indie Grits uh, Festival yet? No, no, we wouldn't be, even if we were uh, doing that, uh, we wouldn't be doing that quite yet. Um, and we have to just kind of figure out how we want to manage that. Um, I, don't, I don't expect that we'll, we would have almost any kind of in-person uh, screenings. I hope that the theater will be open, but I can't imagine that we would uh, be able to do it at the capacity, at full capacity. So we haven't sorted out how we want to do that, but that's something to kind of stay tuned for in the spring. We would let people know if we intend to try to organize something virtually, and that will just depend on resources. Um, as you know, um, we, th that was something that was uh, well supported by HTAX. So, you know, they're trying to figure that out too. So there's just, uh, you know, all of these things have got so many different considerations. We'll just have to see how that goes. Uh, the education piece of uh, Indie Grits is super important to particularly younger um, folks. Are, can they participate? Um, you know, virtually in, in, in the, any of the sort of like media literacy labs, workshops, that kind of stuff, is, is that still happening or, or do you have a plan for that to be able to happen, you know, virtually remotely um, in so, the future? Yeah, so right now we do not, we are not uh, doing any of the media uh, literacy uh, work uh, in the schools. Um, they were always our strong partners uh, and we, that just got suspended. And obviously, schools have got their hands full just managing other things. I do think, though, and, and again, one of the things that, that we're looking to do is bring a programming person uh, back into the theater so that we can start uh, imagining some of these things. And that is going to be one of, the, um, one, of, one of the skills that we're looking for is to, is to promote uh, some more creative media literacy. And there are things going on. Um, it's just, uh, it takes a lot to organize and to market and things like that. So we need just a little bit more capacity before we can uh, hit that one. So look, looking to the future, um, hopefully in a positive light, do you know, because most of us that aren't in this business um, sort of see ourselves saying there's nothing new coming out, right? We, 
Um, normally we're inundated with, uh, when you're watching television or, or uh, yeah. on the internet, you see all of the trailers and all of the advertising for films and all of that is of course stopped for the most part. Um, so I don't even know what's out there to get excited about. Do you have like an inside scoop on um, what may be coming in the future that uh, people should be excited to be able to watch either at the Nickelodeon, you know, hopefully at the Nickelodeon, either through the virtual or, or in person at some point? Um, yeah, so there's a couple of films, but, but they're not huge, but there is a Sophia uh, Coppola's got a film coming out with Bill Murray. Maybe you've seen that. Um, it's hard for me to pass up any Bill Murray film, so wherever it's going to be, I'll, I hope we do get it, but I'll be definitely tuned into that one. Um, there's a film Kate Winslet is, is uh, in uh, that is getting promoted for some Oscar uh, attention. Uh, you're right, though, they, are, they do continue to push things back, so Wes Anderson's film is pushed back. You know, that would be one that we would be really keen to get. Um, I, I think, though, that you know, we'll see in terms of what is appropriate for us, what's coming out as the festivals continue to gear up. So TIFF is, is going on. Uh, I know Venice opened and, and did their thing even in person. So these are, you know, we'll just be watching to see uh, what it is, but it's really, it's really as much the distributor's decision as, as, as anybody else, what they're gonna make available. But the other reminder is, that they'll be getting out there for Oscar season. So at some point- the end of the year, there'll yeah. be stuff that comes out. Yeah, they're gonna have to start uh, pulling the trigger on some stuff, I would, I would definitely think, uh, uh, by the first of the year. Um, how long have you been at the Nickelodeon? You're new, I would say, with the uh, air quotes. Newish, yep. I, I've been here about um, a year, probably short of a year and a half. And can you, it's been quite a time. <laughs> yes, you, you took over just in time. Do you have a favorite um, memory of your time here so far? Uh, be that a like a film that you um, saw as a result of working there that you might not have otherwise known, or or you know, sort of a community engagement thing. Um, oh, yeah, I've got several of those great great moments. Um, we had the opportunity here shortly after I got here to uh, screen the film Emmanuel for uh, the uh, people at the legislator, legislature that, that worked with uh, Senator Pinckney. And his family was here and it was a, a, you know, a quiet event because it was really for them. And that was kind of that goosebumpy thing where you feel like, oh, this is a super special place for people to come and feel safe with this kind of grief that they have to, to explore that with a, with a film. Um, I, I saw, like one of my favorite films that I saw here was uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. And I don't know if I would have uh, necessarily put that on my agenda uh, when I, if I hadn't been working here, but it was such a beautiful, interesting, touching, well made, but not interestingly made. I mean, they did things that were interesting with the filmmaking, but the story and the performances were beautiful. And then the film, that we were showing the day that we closed, a couple of us decided to just stay the, that day and watch a portrait of a lady on fire. So that, that was kind of like bittersweet because it was a gorgeous film. 
Um, and I, it, it just epitomized the kind of things that, that we like to uh, screen here. But because it was our last show, it was, you know, had that bittersweet piece to it. So I've got a range of great experiences here. I could probably go on, but those are some that really stick with me. Is there anything else you'd like to share about yourself or the Nickelodeon? Uh, I, I just am grateful for this and I'm grateful for our members. Um, and I hope that um, they'll, they're, they're staying connected. I, I appreciate every note that I get, certainly every uh, uh, supportive check that we get as we're closed. It really speaks to the value that people place on the Nickelodeon, some to your early comments. We are really quite the community organization. And, you know, we're doing our best to uh, be ready for you when, uh, when we can welcome folks back to the theater. Um, but in the meantime, we're, we're grateful that you're thinking about us. Well, I appreciate the time. And I, for one, am very excited to hear the news whenever it comes out that uh, we can make it back to the theater. I understand that when that happens, it won't be anything like a full capacity. Um, obviously at the Coger Center, we have a lot of seats and uh, we are sort of currently looking at events with about 10% capacity. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, but it's still exciting to feel like something might come back even in such a small way because it gives people a chance to just remember um, you know their community and what it means to get together and enjoy art together um, and that's exactly it and that's what you know we keep ourselves pinned on is that people still want to be together for storytelling I mean it's just that fundamental so we look forward to it too and I'm looking forward to the Cobra Center opening too well thank you so much thank you for joining us and uh, I, I can't wait to see you in the Nickelodeon on Main Street in the near future. Thanks, folks. Appreciate it. The Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit garnetmedia.org.